where we're just like throwing chefs under the bus right now of like they did this and they did this and they did this. like it's like yeah like i did all those things too like like it's a cultural problem it's not an individual problem and i have a bit of an issue with media and people kind of like witch hunting these chefs and like make and putting it all on like one chef and i, I my heart goes out to them it's like it's like man it's not like their problem it's a fucking cultural industry problem hello and welcome to another episode of the burnt chef journal hosted by myself chris hall the founder of the burnt chef project i'm very excited about this week's guest his name is trevor bird he joins me from canada he was a two-time finalist on top chef canada and top chef canada all-stars He's owned multiple businesses and was bred in the Ramsey-esque era and has made many mistakes by being attached to his own identity and his own sense of purpose, which ultimately has impacted other people. And by his own admittance, you know, this is something that he feels very strongly about now and making a change. He joins us to talk about his experiences running businesses doing things perhaps not the right way. Also, he talks about now his journey in terms of being able to make a difference to people's lives and how he is on a path to be able to create a healthier mental space for, for many people and also the importance of things like breath work within day-to-day -day life as well. So it's a great conversation, slightly different format to usual and I really hope that you enjoy this week's chat. On the surface, we at Lamb Weston are a leading global frozen potato product provider, but hospitality is in our roots. We are helping to chip away the stigma of mental health in the industry and truly believe in well-being through potatoes, which is why we are in full support of the Burnt Chef project. If you want to find out more about how we provide well-being through the humble potato or try a free sample of our award-winning products, such as our proper British chips, The Dukes, Follow us on Instagram at Lamweston UK. Yeah, like I, I think it's uh, it's challenging for chefs to really drive the change because they're so busy, right? Like there's so much shit in their own world. It's like they're like the the ground floor change makers, and it's like they need to take care of their culture. But for somebody to actually uh, work on it, on like you know, don't work in your business, but work on it, and like work on the change, don't work in the change. Like the chefs are working in the change. But we, it's important to have voices that work on the change. So I just want to like acknowledge you for working on it, you know, and I think it's, it's a much needed voice for the industry. So, yeah. Thank you. That's appreciated. And it's amazing to hear that it's, you know, even in two, two years, sort of fairly hefty focus, it's been going for three years, but in that period of time, it's managed to reach virtually, or it has reached every continent around the world. And for me, it's it's intriguing to see that actually this is this has gained gravity so rapidly. It means it must have been needed. But my only regret is it wasn't done sooner. Like I mean, I, I just I just don't understand. But I get again, I guess going to what you're saying, it's you know when you're in the thick of it and when the shit's hitting the fan every day, it's very difficult to find the energy and to find the acumen to be able to implement sustainable change. Yeah, and it's definitely important to kind of take a step back because when you're when you're so in 
the restaurant. And so in your business, it's like to take the step back and kind of get a bird's eye view of what's going on is extremely challenging. Well, listen, the, the floor is entirely yours. I mean, no matter what tangent or twist or turn it takes this. Yeah. So uh, my name is Trevor Bird. I'm in Vancouver, BC. I'm a kid. I, I, I would say, I, I guess I was a Canadian chef who very recently retired from the industry within like the past week in 2021, three quarters of the way through. Um, and I've been cooking for 24 years. The only career I've ever had and ever done. And, you know, it, it really provided an amazing life. I mean, I've cooked all over the world. I've cooked in, I've cooked, I've been guest chefs in like three Michelin star restaurants in Hong Kong. I've, I've done everything that I've wanted that you could possibly want to do as a chef. I mean, I've been to Singapore, Australia, Thailand, uh, San Francisco, um and i've done everything i've won all the accolades i've won best chef in vancouver i've had award-winning restaurants and yeah it's just it's just time for a change after 24 years of the grind and the hustle it's it's a lot and now i have a beautiful wife and i couldn't have met her without the restaurant that i had and i have two beautiful boys and just the the challenge the, the challenges that the industry is facing right now um, I'm just going to say it's a young man's game and it's, it's, I, I, I just don't, I just can't take it on. Like I, I look at these challenges and I'm like, Jesus Christ, my family needs me. Like, like I need to, I need to re refocus where I'm going. Um, and what matters to me most and that are, are, it is my two boys and my wife and the end yeah, as we all know, the industry can be crippling at points. Um, especially when you have a young family. So, uh, with everything going on, uh, the state of coronavirus and everything, I just decided to completely um, change directions. And I've been training and taking courses and I'm in school right now for uh, a therapy modality called internal family systems. And I started doing therapy maybe 10 years ago, um, very, very loosely, just cause I'm like, ah, like I'm not that happy. I don't understand why. Uh, and then it started to really like make some big changes. And then like my, my wife at one point was like, you need to fucking start saving because divorce is expensive and so is therapy. So choose one. And I was like, shit. So I really got involved in like doing deep dives into myself like five years ago. And I started to take it pretty seriously. And I saw I, like, you know, in the kitchen, like I was the, you know, the Gordon Ramsay of my kitchens. Like I was highly emotional, uh, take things like I'd, talk to my cooks really inappropriately, make really inappropriate jokes. Like I know, I don't know how it is, is out in Europe, but right now we have like this trend in North America and Canada where we're just like throwing chefs under the bus right now of like, they did this and they did this and they did this. Like, it's like, yeah, like I did all those things too. Like, like it's a cultural problem. It's not an individual problem. And I have a bit of an issue with media and people kind of like witch hunting these chefs and like make and putting it all on like, one chef and I, I my heart goes out to them it's like it's like man it's not like their problem it's a fucking cultural industry problem you know it's like i love this question uh that's put out by like behavioralist um bf skinner you know and and some people can take this a bit a bit strangely but like are we truly responsible for our behavior and what that means is like how much does our environment shape our behavior and in kitchens I mean, like, especially a decade ago, 
you know, I'm not having mindful conversations with my chef. I'm being called a cunt and work harder and faster. And the harder I work, the more that he likes me, the more that I feel safe in his presence. So it's this kind of like double-edged sword where you're like pushing so, so hard and you can't stop because if you do, you get berated and it's like, oh, well, this is how it works. And nobody tells you any different. Mm. Nobody says, hey, man, that's not cool. Don't do that. So with conversations like this and, and what you're putting across, you know, all the continents and within industry is like, hey, like you're teaching chefs how to have boundaries, which is amazing because restaurants know no boundaries. Restaurants are like an abusive, like an abusive caregiver. They just take, 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 take. And, and, and it's up to us to be like, no, like that's not okay. And we need, and it's like, do you want to put yourself into a culture where that is okay, which is still exists today. And that's okay as well. But it's just to bring awareness to like that culture of what do you expect from your people? Yeah. Does that make sense? All the way. And there's going to be two, two parties. I can, I can picture it in my head. Now there's going to be two listeners of this who go, going back to your original question if you didn't have those initial thoughts, then your behaviors wouldn't exist. And those who go, actually, you are a product of your environment. Like I spoke about on a recent episode, the Stanford experiment, you know, if you've seen that, you know, and again, I don't think you can ever be a completely absolved and say it's a fifth, you know, a whole hundred percent of one or a hundred percent of another. I think that certain people will have the characteristics when those in those environments that will bring out the worst in people. And, human beings are nasty horrible beings like we're designed to fight for survival and we do so at not just our own personal cost but for other people's cost as well and it's not until you're in these these very stressful toxic environments that someone who you thought was you know usually quite passive and non-aggressive and you know not in any way brutal can turn into an absolute cock and it's 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 refreshing to hear that. And again, there's going to be these parties. Well, you know, because again, I don't agree with witch hunting, right? It's the same thing that I say to everyone, and, and this is going to upset people, and I'm probably going to get a load of shit from it on social media. And do you know what? You know, thick skin now, but I'm not absolving anything that anyone has done in the past uh, to affect or inflict any damage. You know that that that's not the done thing, and it's not forgivable. But Neither is trying to set fire to the individuals who did something once upon a time in their life and have tried to make now penance for it. You're never going to be able to undo that child that you bullied at school or to that, you know, to that old lady you didn't help cross the road or to that individual that you've, you know, you've destroyed their marriage. You're never going to be able to undo that. But as an individual, if you understand that that's incorrect and that you're actually trying to make a change and that you're trying to address that uh, readdress that balance for the rest of your life if it takes then i don't believe that those who once were should be now classified as those who are now and i think there's a very big distinction in that which is um, often getting quite muddied in these conversations absolutely man and like just riffing off of that it's like just because we have done bad things in the past doesn't make us bad people today like we're not, you know, this chef, like, I mean, the chef that like, I, I have been a bad, bad person. I've done some fucked up things in the kitchen for sure. 
Um, but that doesn't define who I am, you know, and I could, and I would be willing to have a conversation with anybody from the past to be like, Hey, like I was a hurting person back then. And like hurt people, hurt people, you know, and that's not who I am today. But I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because when you meet like a polarized outlook on things, because people are going to look at these chefs and be like, I can't believe he did that. He's an asshole. He's this, he's that, you know, that's not going to create space for healing. That's not going to create space for the other person to admit their behaviors. That's going to create a defensive response or shutdown. You know, if you, I always, I always say like, picture you're like, you're talking to someone else, like you're talking to children. And if you're starting to like shame and blame and tell these, these people, they're bad and you fucked up and you're like, you did all these things. Like, what, what do you think is going to happen to a child when you tell them all these things? Like, they're going to get small. They're going to be like, uh, they'll be a stop, a stay away. They're going to get aggressive. They're going to get defensive. So, you know, I don't know if the world's ready to, to uh, I'd say majority of the world, and especially like not to, not to throw the industry under the bus, but it's like, you know, a lot of people in our industry aren't ready to hear that where it's like, don't be so polarized. Like, just like, ex- like see what it is. And then and then how can you engage with that? Like, what are your yeses and nos within that, within that certain situation? What, where can you, can you say, no, that's not okay, but in a respectful, loving way? Where can you say, no, things need to change? You know, I'm not here to blame you or shame you or make you wrong, but it's like, you know, I, I would encourage if you're in an environment that doesn't provide a safe space or doesn't uh, lend to, to this healthy conversation, you know, just because you disagree with something somebody did. You don't like cancel culture comes in and just tells you to like completely X them out when it's like, we're lacking the ability these days to hold space for two truths. We're lacking the ability to see, to see the deeper side. It's like, we see something, we don't like it. Like, no, just not even engage with it. And then we create this like very polarized belief where I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. The other side is wrong. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like there, it, there's a lack of compassion, a lack of conversation um, that can really be born from that. So uh, the these chefs that that might have that might have been crazy in the past, but and, and also media like glorifies it, right? So it's like it makes us think we're okay. Like it's okay to yell and berate people, and and you know it's cool. And then and then it's like oh, but wait a minute, on the real level, it actually starts happening, and then it's not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, like you turn on the TV in, in any single country you are in the world, and you see, you know, the the likes of Gordon Ramsay, who many a chef has modelled themselves on. Whether you're man, woman, you know, even if you're not necessarily a chef, you've seen this type of behaviour and go, oh well, it's it's publicised, so it must be all right. And then all of a sudden, you actually forget, especially when you're in that environment and you are succumbing to high levels of stress, where your emotional intelligence goes, it gets fucked out the window anyway, because you just don't have time to to think through a process in your head going, okay, here's my initial reaction. Actually, no, that's not the right way to behave. It's like everything is on fire and you've got to, got to try and prioritize. And unfortunately your emotional intelligence is the first thing that goes, but they've seen this and, and it, it's just, it's almost inhuman. The amount of shit you need to deal with it in a, in a restaurant environment is inhuman. It's, it's beyond 99% of people's capacity. Like you said, everything's on fire. Like you're trying to deal with like a brigade of chefs and like customers and servers. It's it's for for a chef to deal with that much in any given moment is insane. Insanity. And like it's like well, how do we show ourselves grace in that? 
Well, I mean, it's it's the same. Like when you start to look at um, PTSD and you look at the relationship between the hippocampus and the amygdala, and you realize that the the relationship between the two uh, doesn't, you know, it's broken through extreme high levels of stress. So the one area of your brain that is reactionary and the other area of brain that actually is thought based and looks back into the past and puts some degree of context to it. When stress levels get too high, that that just gets fucked. It, it stops working. And as and you think, you... and then and then you throw a twelve hour day on top of that. Yeah. So I would just wonder out there, like how many people? And and again, I would like to go back to the topic of like, you know, burning the industry down because I don't think there's going to be a phoenix that rises out of the ashes of this one. I think the damage will already have been done if you just set fire to every last individual who's done something wrong. But I think that you know. Ultimately, if we look at the kitchen environments and we know that mental health issues are prevalent within hospitality environments, but specifically looking at things like PTSD, I wonder, I wonder clinically how many people out there are just, just assume that that's part of their character and personality. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, if I can share a bit of a personal yeah, experience and that has to do with like my, my life story, but I mean, so I grew up in a pretty broken home, like lots of addiction, single mother, uh, just, just poor. Um, and, you know, the, when, when, you're, when you're brought up in these environments, it's, it's kind of hard to relate to, the, to a normal world from a space when you're brought up in, in a lot of anxiety and a lot of unsafety. So there's like, you know, you're, you're, like you're saying, you're amygdala. It's like I'm constantly scanning for danger. Like my, it's like my life was fucking dialed for working in a kitchen because I could react insanely quickly. My, I was constantly scanning for danger. Um, I was always jacked up. My nervous system was really on high alert. And when you, when you get involved in these kitchens, it's like, you know, I didn't really have like a strong community of people as a teenager. And, and like, they're like, I was making connections with people through drinking and drugs and, and these unhealthy behaviors, so to speak. So, you know, this is just like, well, I, I start young in this, in this kind of challenging home. I get brought up, this kind of carries through to my teenage years. And then as I get put into a kitchen, I'm like, fucking, I am home. Like, I get this. I know how addiction works. I know how to relate to people like this. I am like, my nervous system is like level 10 anxiety. I can navigate 10,000 issues. I'm always trying to look out for, danger because i'm scared of my parents reaction of how they're going to beat me when i'm a kid so it's like it's like i i was it's like my my whole universe was like here's the kitchen and i, I felt immediately at home so when we're you know and then that that comes up to me being a chef at 25 26 being a head chef at a restaurant and then um me not having any boundaries growing up you know, of course I'll work longer. Sure. Whatever. What do you need? Like, like I will do anything for you because I don't want to be cut off from you. Um, so, so I start to do this and then, and then when I start to hire chefs, I start to look for the same qualities in the chefs. I start to look for the qualities of low, no boundaries. You know, a chef is like, Hey, I don't want to work more than eight hours. It's like, what are you a pussy? Like, come on, man. And I, and I say that like, I'm, that's not how I talk now, but I mean, I'm just saying like that, that's mm. how I would talk, you know? And I definitely don't think that's okay. Um, but like, like that projection of like expecting people to perform to that level and a lot of people that come to the industry, it's like, you know, we don't really care where you come from as long as you're willing to put in the hours 
and work extremely hard, it's like you have a place here. And a lot of people that like, you know, as soon as somebody says, hey, I only want to work eight hour days, nine times out of 10 in like a fine dining environment, you're out the door. You know, so we kind of perpetuate this, this like bringing in this, um, this, I don't know, wounded, wounded chef, you know, this wounded, wounded person that just like, like, and, and that saved my life without a question. Like that kept me off the streets that kept my head clean. Yeah. I got into the drugs and everything, but I had a purpose and that is mm. beautiful in itself. Um, but you know, our, our old patterns start, it's like, I, you know, when you're 25 and 26 and 27 and 28, that's cool. And then I'm 35 and I have kids and I'm still in that state. It's like, I never grew up out of that. I never transitioned on. I'm still caught in this like 25 year old mind of like, this is how things work. And then I put myself into this identity box of being a chef. And it's like, I relate to the world from this 25 year old chef space. And it's like, at some point it's not going to work. At some point we need to kind of take that box off or break the chains or break the rings or the fence, whatever you want to call it, and kind of move on from that belief that we once had. So like a question that I love for chefs is like, how do you define being labeled a chef? What does that mean to you? And how do you define success? Because he asked me that at 26, you know, a chef is first in, first, last out, works 18 hours a day, you know, always stays to the last plate. Um, and, and how do you define success is how many restaurants do I have? How much money do I make? What kind of car do I have? And like, you know, and then, and then like at some point that, that, that was running my life until I was 35, 36, 37, 38. And then my wife was like, shit, like, this is not good. And I'm like, yeah, this is not good. So I think it's like when we have these gems of chefs that come in, like I know, I know a handful out of the hundreds and thousands of chefs I've met over my career, I know a handful and not many, like I could count on one hand, how many chefs are like in this industry with a solid foundation of a definition of a human and uh, a caregiver and parent. And it's really challenging to find. And that's just an observation. That's nothing right or wrong with it. It's just like, man, there's, there's just not that many people that like have a good family foundation and own restaurants. What are, what are their backgrounds? Because I have my own observations for, for people that I've met in this industry who I would say are model leaders. Um, but from the five that you can mention on your hand, are they all hospitality background or have they worked in other sectors before and, and have come, come into hospitality later on in life? Yeah, you know, I think five is even a stretch and I'm not joking. Um, what, like the, the ones that I'm, I am thinking of, uh, he's, he's an, he's a vet. He's been cooking for as long as I have. Um, and I always have this part of me. It's like, how did he do that? Like, how is he such a like focused, grounded individual? Um, so there's one there and then another one. Yeah. They're, they're lifers. And and then there, there's a big chef here called Mark McEwen in Canada. Um, and he's a, he's another one. Um, yeah. So it's like, uh, like that's, that's all I can really think of, but that's, and I also want to state that this is like in the public eye, you know, these are like chefs that are in the kind of the, the media and you see them doing things. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's plenty of chefs out there 
that I don't know about that do, you know, great work for the families mm. and industry as well. Just want to yeah, there that. are. I mean, <clears throat> certainly being being part of this project means that I do get to go and meet like scores of people. I mean, I've trained 150 managers in mental health awareness in the last four weeks face to face. And you do get to meet those people who just you go, you've got this. You're on the right. You're on the right. You're on the right tracks here. Amazing. But then you also meet those who are gone. This industry's fucked. I can't do another eighty-hour week. It's, it's broken. The only way that it's going to fix is if the government come in and change change the rules, or you know. And I'm like, well, the rules are already there. We're breaking them all already. You know, the, the 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 hours and the way that you behave with people and the money and all this sort of stuff. That you're already breaking most of the laws in terms of duty of care to your team. I said, so government in any country is going yeah. to do fuck all to change any of this. It has to start, and it goes back to what we said at the beginning with the people on the ground. And that, again, requires energy. And, you get, you know, there are going to be people out there going, nah, it will never change. And that's why I started this, because I had arguments with my mates all the time. They were like, the best thing you can do is get out, because it's never going to change. And yet here we are today, and there will be the other people who go, yeah, I can see this. I can see the changes coming, and I want to be part of this. And how do I do that? Well, you know, do I need to go and go to therapy and look at my life choices? Do I need to look at how I build the rotors for my teams and how I manage and I lead people? You know, do what can I do to be part of this epic change? But I think just going back to something you were saying earlier, Trevor, obviously you, you got to a certain stage in your life and you sort of got to that aha moment. And you mentioned it was partly driven down by your wife giving you an ultimatum to say, you know, it's divorce or or counselling, which is, you know, quite vulgar, but in truth is probably a very of people a lot of people will resonate with that, especially with the divorce rates within hospitality. But, you know, what for you is your aha moment? When was it that you suddenly turned around and went, fuck, I've built up these businesses. I've, you know, I've got the accolades and it's that's not where I'm, my health is and my happiness is. Uh, I mean, I would say there, there's a couple, but there's, there's one story. It's kind of, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, kind of a funny story. Uh, so I would definitely consider myself a psychedelic advocate. Um, I definitely think it's, it's very uh, important in role in, in playing in mental health and kind of expanding our consciousness as a human race. Um, so I went on a fairly heavy psilocybin trip, which is mushrooms. And it was very beautiful. Like it was, a, it was an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, it was very, say ancient, you know, there's lots of, lots of conversations with elders and uh, lots of, lots of spirit animals and like just, just being in this, in this really beautiful space. And um I was talking to a friend and this was in 2019 and I was already kind of like, 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 I don't know if I want to do this for good. Um, you know, I've owned my restaurant for like eight years at that time. And I was kind of just like playing around. I'm like, I'm not sure. Like I, I was starting to to take courses and getting trained in, in therapy modalities. And I was like, okay, well, I, I could, I could, you know, do this and just keep it as a side hustle. And then I was talking to a friend in 2021 and I was like, hey, can you just mock me up like a like a like a logo just for Trevor Bird? I'm thinking about changing directions. And she made me this logo. And it's a completely I, you might have even seen it on our email exchanges. It's a completely abstract logo. Um, and you'd look at it and be like, oh, sure, whatever. But when I saw it, I felt like this 
this like shot of like emotions shoot through my body as soon as I looked at it and I welled up and I was like, holy shit, like this is the elder that was speaking to me in that, in that journey. And I would say, I, like, I, 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 like I said, I, I definitely partake in, in, in psychedelics and, um, yeah, like I've been on many trips and for that, it was like the universe kind of just like pointing me in a direction. And I, and I have plenty of other stories like that as well, but it's kind of like showing me that this is where I need to go. And when that happened, I was like, okay, I'm committed. Like I'm going to start exiting everything. And I just closed up everything seven days ago from this That's, date. So I've got the tingles when you talk about that because I've never touched psychedelics because I, or I already know I'll have a bad trip on the basis that I, I've, I've got it into my head that the second I touch any degree of psychedelics, even like I've looked at Iowasa retreats and those sort of things as well, because I'm, fu- I'm fully appreciative of it, having never experienced it myself. But I've stayed clear of them because I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't be able to dig myself out of that hole. But one thing that you did say that resonated with me is that prompt, that, that universe pointing at you. And I get that a lot. Like a lot and it was only after a lot of soul searching for a couple of years that i started to listen less to what my brain was saying and more to what my gut was saying and every so often you get this oh well that makes sense so fuck it let's just run with it and see what happens and then something else will happen and they just it just you just follow these connections it's like pulling it a thread isn't it you see it there dangling and you just give it a little tug and off you go so for you as a result of, you know, as a result of psilocybin, but ultimately you had that same prompt where he goes, that's it. This is, this is it. It's a sign. It's a direction I need to go in. Yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, that I like the, the hero's journey of like, you know, how I got brought into my restaurant is also a very beautiful story like that as well. And, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I truly believe that no matter what's happening in our lives, no matter how, challenging a situation is or no matter how shitty we think a situation is it's the universe giving us what we need it's like it's like the universe is our medicine and it's if we if we can pick up on those cues and we can pick up on those things what's going on around us um it's really trying to get our backs and it's really trying to to point us in a direction no matter what it is and and it's hard to hear if you're going through a tough time it's like you know cynical being like oh i don't want to listen to that it's bullshit fucking woo woo whatever and I get that too. I mean, I have mm-hmm. that skeptical part of me as well, but there's this, you know, fantastical, like awe part of me that thinks that we're so much more than what we create around us. Well, yeah, we're, we're li- living, breathing organisms. You look at Darwin for crying out loud. He was traveling around the world, seeing different animals that had been adapted to their environment on a physical and mental basis. And yet just because we walk around and we drive cars and we, you know, use induction hobs that actually somehow we are not anything like any of the creatures that are being shaped by their environment and their surroundings and their culture. Like <laughs> we, we are, and we just, sometimes you need to listen to it. Yeah. It's like, you know, conversations with friends who are you know, experiencing depression because they're, you know, their relationship isn't great or they're not fulfilled at work and they just can't figure out why. And you say, well, you know, look at the environment that you're in. Look at what you're surrounded by. Like you're fighting against something that doesn't feel natural or right to you. And as a result, you're not living a true path, if you like. You're going against the grain. Yeah, that's awesome, Chris. Like, I, like what what comes up for me there is I was just exploring that this weekend in one in in a, in the school that I'm in, and um, 
you know, I, 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 I wouldn't say I suffer from depression. Like I get depressed sometimes. And when I do, it's because I'm doing something that I don't want to be doing. When I am depressed, it's because I am, my soul is like, please don't do this. You know? And, and yeah, I, I, there was a point where I fucking lived for the industry. Like that's a huge portion of my life for sure. And, you know, I went home after service and cried countless times, countless, you know, and it's like, yeah, I wish there was a, was an easier way for me to engage with the industry. I mean, it's like, it's like, I've, I've had my, my time in there, but it's like, I found within, within kitchens and working in, in the restaurant, it's like, you know, there's a lot of times where you're forced into doing something that like, it's that, it's that abusive parent, like forcing it on you. Like you have to perform, you have to be there for 18 hours that day. This is because there's mm. too much shit to do. There's too many fires. There's too many issues going on. And I, and that's when I was at my lowest is like, when I'm, when I was forced to be doing things I don't want to do. So, you know, depression is, is very serious. Absolutely. And it's also a fantastic fucking check-in. It's like, okay, like what's going on here? It's a good place to stop and go internally. And like, you know, for me, the, the most effective things that I've done when I've been feeling that is like, (laughs) be alone and just with your thoughts and just think your way, think like, what, what am I doing right now? that i don't like yeah i wonder whether or not like i've i'm i i proper geek out on all, all things to do with mental health and i've always done it since i was dropped out of school from smoking too much weed and studying psychology you know i've always been fascinated by that which is why i ended up in sales and like um wholesale supply sales because i loved the psychology of, of people's brains and how you can meander around their thought process in, in a rather non-creepy <laughs> non-manipulative way but like I often think about depression and some of the signs and uh, of depression, things like the you know sleeping too much or not sleeping enough, like the increased REM because your brain's trying to file and segment away all of that information and data, like the rumination, the worry loop, and you think, you know, why? I know your brain physically changes when you have depression or any mental health issue for that for that matter. Your your brain shape actually changes, so it's not just all in your head like we were always led to believe. But I wonder why the symptoms are the way that they are and what use they can have, because people can remain depressed for for lifetimes and, and, and not end out, out of that. So what benefit can they provide? Yeah, man. I, I, thanks, Chris. And I, a part of me got really excited there. And I say a part of me because, you know, I come from internal family systems therapy, which is um, IFS. It's a modality. And the premise is we are all multi-personality human beings. We all suffer from multi-personality disorder. And that's not to pathologize it or make it wrong. But, you know, our internal world is made up of a whole whack load of, of parts, a whole whack load of voices, if you will. And so the easiest way to describe it is, you know, we're doing this podcast right now, Chris. And, uh, uh, you know, today, like with the, with everything going on for you, it's like a part of you is probably like, yeah, let's like, I need to fucking do this podcast with Trevor. And there's this other part of you that's like, yeah, but my kids are sick. My dog just got operated on. So you kind of have these two, these two voices in your head, almost a polarity, you know, creating this inner conflict. And now when these parts get into extreme roles because of wounding, because of, something that happened, like, say, you know, as a kid, you get put in a situation, a bunch of kids laugh at you. And then you say, whoa, I'm never doing that again. Mm. 
you know, so now this, the, you, you just developed like a sub personality of a protector that's like not going to allow you to do that behavior again. And so then you push it away. You don't look at it for 20 years, but you have this unconscious pattern of you're never engaging with people in a certain way because you're scared of that humiliation. So when we actually start to turn towards these parts that are holding on to the ex extreme beliefs, like I can't do that ever again, you know, and you have to say, well, tell me more about that. Like, why, why can't you ever do that again? And we can actually feel and process that pain and the emotions from decades ago and actually make it okay without shaming it. You know, we can actually start to become a balanced human being again, where these parts are actually accepted by us. And then we start to develop self-love, compassion. And as we relate to our inner world with self-love, compassion, and care, that's how we relate to the people around us. And we can start to bring that into the relationships around us. So it's like, you know, when, when we, we suffer from depression, it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to just say, argue, argue challenge it. It's like, you are not depressed. A part of you is depressed and we need to find out, not need to, but I have, I hold some curiosity around that. Tell me why you're depressed. What's mm -hmm. going on? What's hap What's going on for that part that it wants to, wants to kind of turn a blind eye to everything else and, and stay in bed all day. Like, what are you, what is it protecting you from? What is it trying to tell you? What information is there? And, and the whole, you know, the whole agenda behind this, it, you know, is ha not have an agenda, but don't, don't make it wrong. And a question I ask all my clients all the time and in conversation is, is that okay? So it's like, I don't like, you know, like, because as soon as you say, um, I'm feeling really depressed. This is good. So, so if I was asking Chris, are you feeling depressed? And you say, yeah, I'm feeling pretty fucking depressed. And I'm like, okay, well, is that okay? You say, no, I hate it. Boom. Polarity. You have a part of you that's really depressed. And then you have this part of you that fucking hates it. And then now you have an inner conflict creating all the discomfort because you're not okay having these emotions. You're not okay feeling this way. And so then we start to turn our attention to one of these parts and we start to navigate our way through what information they're holding. I absolutely love this. I wish I was more of a creative person to be able to draw you a picture right now to explain exactly what's going through my head. But that for me was a big aha moment when I was in my late 20s. So we're talking about what am I now, 35. So we're talking seven, eight years ago where I was having to self-regulate my own behaviors and I was having to suppress my own like wants and desires, not in any sort of weird fantastical way, but just like, you know, my impulse to say a certain thing or to act or behave in a certain way that I felt was, you know, acceptable. I felt that everyone else thought would be unacceptable. So you're always having to use all of this energy to self-regulate. And it wasn't until a complete and utter breakdown, like a complete and utter personality identity crisis, which, you know, was characterized by depression as well, low mood and, and, and everything else that went with it. But then you sat in front of a therapist. Uh, for me, it was CBT. And she was just like, well, you know, why do you feel like that? Why do you feel like you can't say say no to someone? Why do you feel like you can't stand on your own two feet and all this sort of stuff? And then you start walking back through. And then you remember a specific event that happened when I, I mean, for me, it was when I was 17, clear as day. And I made a conscious decision. And I remember it like it happened five minutes ago. I made a conscious decision in my head during a conversation that actually I can't be who I want to be because it doesn't fit in with society norms. And I'm going to suppress that person. This is going to come back to bite me in the ass at some stage. I remember being intelligent enough to know that this was going to hurt 
but I suppressed it and I continued to suppress it as part of my personality until I was in my late twenties. And then fuck. Yeah. The shit hit the fan because of those, those two polarized people. There was part of me inside going, Oh, you should, no, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you should, Oh, you shouldn't do that. And then you end up in this absolute well until someone points out to you, but, but why, who says you can't have that core value? Who says that you have to be agreeable all the time? You don't, you know, we, it's a diverse world we live in. You know, it's, it's bit, just, man. and then once you dig all that out and you become friends with your 17 year old self again, and you put a middle finger up to everyone who ever fucking showed you up at that age in life, you suddenly go, ah, do you know what? Yeah. I'm comfortable with who I am. And as a result, I, f- I feel whole again. And yeah. And just, just, to, it's so vivid and clear that, that aha moment for me was, um, was my way out of that particular experience at that time. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's awesome to to hear your vulnerable story. Wow, that's, that's how this that. whole thing started. Me telling this story to a bunch of people I didn't know, <laughs> and them going, "Yeah, I resonate with that. Yeah, yeah, that's why I drink a lot, or that's uh, you know that's why I take drugs, or why I work in hospitality yeah. because it helps keep my mind active and away from these thoughts." Yeah. So, te- like, just tell me if this gets a little too a little too out of the uh, more more in the technical level, but you know, a lot of drug use and alcohol use, porn addiction is, is from what's called what we call an IFS, firefighters. So uh, you, have, you have managers, firefighters, and exiles. And your exiles hold on to um, the shame, the, the belief that I'm not good enough, uh, I'm not lovable, um, you know, really, really sad things. I hold it, my sadness is too much for everybody. I'm not allowed to express it because it's too much. And it's, a lot of time these exiles are buried because they're not allowed to have a voice and they're really vulnerable. And it's like really hard to be vulnerable with the, especially in the hospitality industry. You know, if, if you start crying online, uh, which I have done plenty of times throughout my 24 years in kitchens, um, or just, just like I said, like you, you, you stop cooking and you just go outside and cry. Cause you're like, fuck, like, you know, you have this really vulnerable part of you and, and it can very easily be shamed in that moment of expression. So it's like, you know, you start to cry online. Your chef is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, stop crying, get the fuck out of here. It's like, that's telling me that my sadness is not okay. That's telling me that it's like, oh, my sadness can't be expressed because that mm. makes me a broken human. And like to take that further back when we're kids, like that's even more of a, of a kind of, you know, uh, personality shaping age where, you know, when we express our emotions as a kids and our caregivers, like they're doing the best they can with the tools they have. But when we're told that like, you know, we, I get angry and then my dad gets angry back at me and starts yelling at me. Okay. My anger is going to create disconnection. So I can never get angry again. And you're going to carry that with you your whole life until you start to actually look mm. at it. Just like you said, just like that story you shared with us. So when, when these emotions start to run us and we start to disown our humanity. Emotions are a human thing. Like there's no, there's nothing wrong with any emotion, but we start to judge them. You know, oh, you're crying. That must make him weak. Crying equals weakness. When we start to hold that judgment towards it, you know, we start to really get like, oh, like it starts to get really uncomfortable because it's like, oh, I feel like crying, but I'm just going to stuff that down. And now your firefighter comes in because it doesn't want to feel that emotion. So it's like fucking drown it in liquor, not feeling it go drink your face off so that we don't have to feel the sadness or this anger. 
because we are not allowed to feel it, whatever happens. And now, you know, in the work that I do with a lot of people is like, okay, how do we befriend that firefighter? Because the firefighter doesn't want you to be an alcoholic. All it wants to do is, is try to help you not feel the sadness. And it's like, yeah, feeling that sadness is one of the hardest fucking things we could ever do as a human, especially sadness that we've been carrying for 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. But if we don't allow ourselves to feel those emotions and to actually make them okay, it's going to come spilling out of you in some other way. And it's just about trying to gain the understanding of how that's happening and why that's happening. So do you reckon that's why there is such a, a high rate of drug and alcohol abuse within the hospitality industry as people suppressing? I mean, we know it's a coping mechanism, but is it is it they're coping for the fact that the stress and, and the, the, the system is causing irreparable damage at that moment in time? So they, they have to use something or we have to use something that suppresses that. Yeah, you know, like, uh, again, like from my own experience, it's like my nervous system was always so heightened, you know, like I, I, I would have so much adrenaline in my body. Um, it would just it would just come out so intensely and to feel, you know, after work, it's like, OK, I need to come off of this adrenaline. I need to calm down a little bit. So instead of actually engaging with that part of me. And, and sitting in meditation, like, I, you know, I've gained plenty of tools over the past decade to kind of to kind of engage with that part. But it's like, you know, you tell you tell a 23 year old chef, like, go sit and do some breath work for an hour after work and be like, fuck you, I'm going to get wasted. And it's like, yeah, I get that. Like, I would yeah. do the same thing, too, at 23. Um, but yeah, like, like when, when those when those big emotions come up, it's like instead of trying to understand them and trying to, like, work with them. It's like, I'm just going to ignore this, not look at it and bury it because that's way easier and way more fun. And it is. I don't blame you. 100% it's way more fun because just looking at yourself and trying to, to pick yourself apart is not a walk in the no, park. No, and it's certainly not as ever. quick as getting high or getting smashed because. And it's really, a, sorry, sorry, Chris. I just want to add one more thing. Uh you know, it's easy because you're in a community and it's like our community kind of drives our behavior. So it's like everybody go and get drunk together. And, and there's, again, that's, it's, it's great because you come together as like camaraderie, you know, you have connections, you create a community, which is also very needed in our culture. Um, but it's like, what if that community was like, Hey, let's go do a sound bath after work for an hour, or let's go do a yoga class for an hour after, after work, you know? Um, and that's a hard transition to make because we are, I mean, it's just, it's in your face, alcohol and drugs. And it's just like so much easier to, to do that than another. It's option. also, yeah, I mean, 100% of that is also fucking difficult to try and get those different parties and trains of thought to change their behavioral processes and go, you know, you might have a manager who goes, actually, I do yoga and it's fucking class and we're going to do it as a team together at the end of the service rather than go and get blottoed and I'd like you all to come. That's fine, but it's getting the entire or at least 40% or 50% of the team to go, yeah, do you know what? I'm comfortable with, with trying something different because I, I don't think that people are. I mean, millennials and Gen Zs are definitely, you know, they're definitely leading the way with this sort of thing because they're a lot more free thinking. They're a lot more uh, acutely aware of their role as a human being rather than just as a slave to the system. But um, yeah, trying to get a load of 20, 20 year veterans 
I get, I get that. I'm saying this is, yeah, 100%, man. It's like, this is like, this is like perfect, perfect world. Well, know? no, I'm, um, but yeah, like, but if, but I, I'm saying, I'm saying it because I'm asking you, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm training teams of people here to try and get them to implement these systems. I'm, I'm saying like Trevor, as a man who cool. has now completely changed his life so that he can, you know, to atone, if you like, for the Ramsey-esque days and to help the industry on a new, new light. Like, how do you start to implement cultural changes for people that haven't seen a cultural shift in this industry ever? Ooh, Chris, that's that's good, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be totally honest with you. Like, I don't fucking know. Like, it's such like I look at that issue and I'm like, holy shit, this is such a big issue. But I mean, you know, just just to to jam on on what you were doing before. Like, I think that's amazing that you know training i mean it all starts at the top right when like within like i do a lot of like corporate training and a lot of like uh business business coaching and it's like at, you start at the top and if the if your if your manager is saying like hey like let's do a yoga class it's like yeah you know i i guarantee it and like within a couple of weeks people are gonna be like oh that was actually nicer than waking up on over the next day and it kind of it's, it's a snowball effect and it's going to take decades to roll out there's no question but i mean tra- training in like you know, it doesn't need to be an hour long yoga class, like take, take baby steps into it. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things is like, is for me, the the most useful tool I've found in my own self-discovery and my own regulation is breath work. I mean, that is like hands down one of the best tools you can possibly do. And 10 minutes of breath work in the most intense situations can take you right, can regulate your nervous system right back down to ground zero easier better than any other fucking thing i've ever done um and and you can even attest that with other other people other breathwork if anybody's if nobody's ever tried breathwork just google or youtube wim hof and do his 10 minute video it is gold and it's like there's so much more depth to breathwork than that 10 minute video but like like it is the foundation of becoming human I won't get into that too much because I can go on to that for no. a whole other hour. But just just give it a shot, and it can be 100, pretty visible. A hundred percent. There's something I asked you in my training sessions. I look at the room. I say, right, when was the last time any of you took a deep breath? And all of a sudden, you see everyone go, and you go, how's that feel? Yeah. And everyone's going, yeah, it feels pretty good. I was like, that's because it's the first time you've done it since you woke up. Like your shallow breathing. And that, and that's, and that's why, why uh, I believe our industry smokes so much, right? It's like, instead of going to smoke, just go back and take 10 deep breaths or like five minutes worth of deep, like, as you smoke, you're like, you're just taking deep breaths, whether there's smoke behind it or not. You're like, oh, it's, it's, it's like such a stress relief. It's like, it's not the smoke, it's the deep breaths. So instead of instead of actually smoking a cigarette just go back and take a five minute break of just taking deep breaths and you're going to get the same effect but people just associate it with smoking because it's easier to to be doing something because like as as humans and men as and you know definitely in the in females as well it's like we relate to the world as thinkers doers and problem solvers and this is like how this is like our first layer of the onion so to speak it's like this is how we relate to the world is from our thinking parts, our doing parts. We're always looking for problems to solve and like so great for the industry, right? Because it's a distractor from anything underneath that. 
it distracts us from what's really going on in our internal world because if we're busy all the time we don't actually have to look at ourselves if we're busy all the time we don't actually have to feel what's happening inside of us but anyway I, I mean, I, I, I don't feel the need to move on. Like, if you want to go into deeper, the thing, the thing about this whole conversation, Trevor, is it's, you know, there's a lot of people talking out there about mental health, and and I, I don't like getting clumped together with all the people who are getting on the bandwagon to talk about mental health because that's not the thing that we're doing. And this whole project was started long before COVID because we could see, or I could see, what was needed in order to try and make this industry mm-hmm. sustainable and and to stop taking lives. Because let's be fucking blunt it's taking lives and whether that's through suicide or whether that's through, you know, divorce and, or, you know, family breakups, whatever it might be, it's costing lives. And so, and the rare opportunity that I do yeah. get an opportunity to really go into depth about the different layers and to things that will be beneficial for people. I think it's nice to be able to hear it rather than just talk about, you know, and, and experience sharing is important. It's vitally important to smash in the stigma, but, we need to start thinking about progressive ways forward and we need to look at the reasons why and what's going to help carry us out of this. Yeah. And I think that would, it would be a good segue into the conversation about the the diners, right. And expectations of diners. Cause I think that mm. really drives our industry because we, 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 you know, we're, we are in hospitality and we take care of people for a living, so to speak. So, excuse me. So diners expectations are pretty insane like they're very very high and i think that you know we're in a we're in a very ripe environment for potentially for that to shift a little bit but like you know small independent restaurants especially the the ones where chefs are super passionate and they're making everything themselves it's like um you know i think it's important that we we this is this is a you know i'm just going to spit one of my ideas out there that i think would be transformational for the industry uh you can take it with a grain of salt but i mean you know, the most successful business models and the most, um, a way to, to kind of mitigate everything that's going on. It's like, stop trying to do everything. Like stop trying to be the restaurant for everybody and like do one thing, whether it's one tasting menu or you do like, you know, like four pastas really well. And that's it. Um, but like trying to do these, these, you know, diners go and they're like, I want fish and chicken and duck and rabbit and blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's like, man, like the, the work that goes into preparing, you know, uh, a 16 dish menu is insane with with different proteins and different starches and different vegetables and appetizers and main courses and whatever. So, um, you know, it's almost like that would take care of a lot of it. That Like if we just had like restaurants that did like it was like a chicken breast restaurant, you know, because it's like when you look at like a ramen shop, it just does ramen. You know, and it has some garnishes on top of it and they do extremely well. Um, and and when you do when you go to like like a Momofuku, you know, it's like steam buns and ramen. That's it. And it's world renowned. And it's like, why do why are we trying to offer, you know, more than we can bite off? It's almost like we it's almost like the industry did it to themselves. And I'm guilty of that. I like really fed into that. I I gave my diners way, way too much. And it was like, of course, I won all the awards because it's like I was fucking giving everything away like i wasn't like creating value in what i was doing um you know i had like a a a fucking potato crusted rabbit fucking double barrel rabbit loins on my menu and it was like the amount of work that went in i think that this should have been an 80 dollar dish and i was selling it for like 23 bucks and it's like people like oh it's so good it's like yeah you paid 23 dollars for that the thing's like a 
that thing is not $23. Like when you look at how much effort went into that thing, and that's the only thing I should have been selling to be honest. Um, but you know, I added a ton of other shit on top of that, stressed a whole bunch of people out anyway. Um, yeah, I think that if you just like focused, like very, very, like, like, like just dial it back into like what you do and do it well. Cause when you look at like fast food joints, it's like, I don't know if you guys have like an in and out burger or five guys and fries. It's like, they have a fucking industrial sized restaurant that just does mm. burgers and fries. And if I had that much space in my restaurant, I would be doing way crazier shit than that was going on. So it's like, you know, just, just try to try to just dial it into like a very, very small thing of what you do and do it really, really well. But then again, it's like, and diners need to. Yeah. And that's a big topic of conversation. So there's one thing I'm working on now, which I want to blurt out, but if I do and someone picks it up and beats me to it, I'll be fucking pissed. Cause I still have, I still have an ego. <laughs> my ego is my biggest, biggest, yeah, critic. but there's, there's something it. I'm working on, which is, um, I've certainly never seen before. Honestly, my research doesn't exist, but it gives that diner an aha moment that, fuck, I didn't realize that's what was involved in, in this salad or in, you know, in this drink or in that service. I did not realize that. And I want them to, I don't want to make it so that when people have this experience, when diners have this experience, they go, God, my poor server my poor chef who's put that together. Like we should break them out of this place and save them from this heinous thing. And there'll be people out there going, yeah, do you know what people deserve to be broken out of this industry? No, I want to try and create an experience where people go just that, that paradigm shift, that psilocybin trip where they go, fuck, I didn't realize that being a dick to my, my waitress or waiter because my food was two minutes late was having such a profound impact on them. And they were going to carry that home for the rest of their night. And then they were probably going to take that out on their partner and then carry it into work the next day. Well, I didn't realize that, you know, the rump steak that I'm ordering mm. isn't going to cut like fillet or taste like, you know, a, a, a silver side or, you know, butcher's butcher's choice cut. It's it's not always going to be as black and white as you think it is from the server where, and again, this is where the industry's got that curtain, that iron curtain, whereby your food and your drink and your service just magically appears. It's it's no impact for the customer. It's simple <laughs> and it's easy. And if they book a table at seven o'clock, at nine o'clock, and then they turn up at seven for their table, we accommodate them because that's hospitality and that's what we do. But I think in the same way, that's like, the reason why the behaviors and stuff are the way they are in the, in the kitchen culture, because it's our, it's our den, it's our den of iniquity. It's our lion's cave where what goes on behind the scenes stays behind the scenes and the customer's none the wiser. And I don't think that we, you know, it's a case of saying, do you realize that this goes on? Because ultimately I don't think diners will give, give a, give a monkeys. But what I want to do is give them an, a proper experience, a real, real life, heart quickening, stressful two minute experience of what it would be like in that environment and the impact that their words have just so that that diner walks away afterwards and goes, actually, I'm going to make a sustainable choice on where I eat now, not because of plastic use or sustainability, but because of how my servers have been treated or how the environment works and, and what accolades they've got with that. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And you know, like this, this is, this is something that I've personally decided to do since um, exiting the industry is I, I don't eat at restaurants anymore that overwork kitchen staff. Like I know, I like, I know 
every restaurant in my city and I know which ones do. And yeah, I, I just don't agree with that culture anymore. And um, yeah, there's going to be some pushback on that. People are like, ah, what the fuck? But it's like, that's, that's, that for me is making a sustainable choice and trying to make, is putting my dollars where I see restaurants really trying to mitigate that, that want, that want to take care of their kitchen staff and that want to uh, make a better culture. Because I think that, you know, making like, I'm guilty of it. I've made my chefs work 18 hour days for a long time. I, I get that. And, um, but it's not who I am anymore. And I do want to see a change in the industry. And it's like, uh, it's almost, yeah, like it's, it's, it's inhumane what goes on. Yeah. I mean, would you say the industry has changed a lot over the last 10, 15 years? Oh yeah. I mean, just having conversations like this is a big deal. Right. And just having, you know, the, the awareness and, you know, when, when a chef does just seeing the polarization of like, I can't believe this chef, you know, slapped another female chef's ass or another male chef's ass or whatever it was that happened. Um, you know, like just that conversation alone, it's like, yeah, shit's changing. Mm. Energy is focused on at this moment in time, getting hospitality to a stage where it's a sustainable career choice for all new, uh, all new and all existing members who work within it. Because fuck me, it employs what, 72 million people worldwide. You know, in the UK, it was the third largest recruiter in the in the country before COVID, um, employing over 3.2 million people, uh, which is significantly wow. less now. I think we've lost about 800 to 900,000 people out of the industry over the last year. Um, and that's now putting wow. tons of additional pressure on the remaining parties who are within the industry because they're now doing 110% of the business they were normally because people are just spending money like there's no tomorrow and also at the same time there's less less team members having to now cope with that demand and we're just seeing people exit like you just have to look at one of our adverts all about the Burnshire support service you just see hundreds like thousands of comments people are like well today is my final day I've had enough I'm gone and so I'm you know I've, mm-hmm. I don't what, what wow. is it the same over there yeah, yeah. Like I, what, leading up to the exit of my restaurant, uh, like we couldn't even stay open seven days a week. We used to be breakfast, lunch, or like lunch, dinner, and then weekends brunch, dinner. And it's like we could only stay open five nights a week just because we couldn't get enough staff. And I could have stayed open seven, but I just was like, no, like I'm not working my guys that hard. Mm. It doesn't make it's not sense. good business. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a shit show. And and I would not say our business is like crushing it our business is uh numbers are way down way 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 down like like my restaurant was doing 2.1 million a year and our like last year we did eight hundred thousand. So, jesus yeah that's rough. and so you're now dedicating your time to what is it exactly that you do trevor because you've spoken about things like breath work and therapy and, and a few other bits and bobs so what's your what's your mo now for your for your professional career Yeah, leadership embodiment. Um, so, uh, leadership coaching. Uh, sorry, um, leadership coaching, self leadership coaching, um, executive entrepreneurship. Uh, you know how to how to help. Like I, I love working with the overwhelmed entrepreneur because I know that world really well, and uh, just how how they can get their priorities um, something that aligns with them a little bit better. Kind of take them through the process of not 
not uh, not not living from a way that the world thinks they should be living be, but living into a life that they want to create. Yeah. I get that. And if you wanted to group that under like like a therapist, like a therapist. Therapist would I? I mean, I don't know the correct terminology. Life coach. Does that fit into it? Yeah, yeah. Life coaching, like it's it's a it's somebody that's going to help you step into your own power. Someone's going to help you get to where you want to be. Be the is this always from an executive point of view, or does this will this help individuals who you know, for example, Mister KP or Mister Sommelier, who Mrs. Sommelier, who wants to uh, you know to 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 find what their real calling in life is? Does it is is the stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's like if if you're somebody that did, like something's not working out and you're like, "Ah, what's happening?" like I I know there's something more out there, like I I'm I'm not quite living into the life that I want to create. That's that's where it helps. And it's, you know, I I actually don't work with too many people in the industry. Um I work a ton of one-on-one with entrepreneurs and and I I call them like professionals, like people that are managers and uh kind of up the higher up the the chain um and that it's like hey i have all the success but i hate it and i'm like great that's what we dive into isn't it funny it depends on what you define success as then doesn't it It goes back to what you were saying earlier um yeah and that's that that's coming from them they're like hey like like i have the car i have the house i have the wife i have the kids and i'm miserable it's like yeah have you have you read it uh, read the uh, daniel pink's book drive or uh, heard of extrinsic value which uh you know a lot a lot of people are deemed in society to be successful based on these materialistic things but actually they don't provide you any degree of long-term sustainable feel-good factor they're just brief moments in time and history other than family which if you invest your time correctly in family they can actually make you feel amazing but if they're just there as a trophy you're just living, mm-hmm. you're living a lie to yourself, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And that's kind of just getting, like, people don't recognize that, though. You know, they, they come in because they're like, all they know is that they're overwhelmed. They're, they're having a hard time with their anger. They're really sad. And they're like, I don't know what to do with all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, we help kind of do, like I said, it's like we come into these, these situations kind of blended or or we see the world as one of our parts and we say i am angry i am sad and the training is to kind of separate from that and, and then kind of realize that you are not the sad part you are not your sadness you are not your anger you are not your depression there there is there is anger you are aware that there is depression but you don't have to identify with that and then when you can create that kind of stepping outside of it and you're actually looking at it your relationship to it can change. I get that. Yeah, I get that. I am not a depressed person. I have experienced depression. And as a result, I'm very familiar with it. I'm very acutely aware that it's there, but that's my fucking superpower. And I'm going to rock that because I now know how to identify it early on and know how to be able to help other people, you know, and have better awareness where people don't recognize it or aren't able to at this moment in time. You just, you can, you can help with that. It's like the best superpower you could ever have. It's amazing. Yeah. And as you, as, as you start to see these things inside of you, you can see it inside of other people and you can, you can help Massively guide that. So. I always flippantly said it would be interesting for me to do an experiment, like a, like a video diary from being 
going to do and i'm not active by any means i um i do i have started swimming actually which is great for breath work because you have to think about your breath if you mess it up yeah it doesn't it doesn't end well whilst you're swimming but i um i always always thought about doing like a video diary or wondering if anyone done an experiment on how long it would take you to get mentally unwell you know to experience burnout or anxiety to to get mentally unwell yeah almost like a video day log like today you know i'm eating healthily i'm going to the gym quite regularly but uh i'm going to stop all that i'm going to eat shit i'm going to eat carbs i'm not going to go outside i'm not going to go into daylight and i suspect having having gone from having gone from thriving (laughs) to surviving in less than a week before i suspect it wouldn't take long at all but um it's it's just well you know i'd say i'd say life ebbs and flows right and some days some weeks are going to be awesome even even though like you do all this work on yourself and like you have a good life, like struggles. I mean, life is fucking challenging. There's always challenges in our way. Life is hard. There's no question about it. It's just about how do we relate Mm. to those challenges? How do we, what do we make those challenges mean? You know, do they destroy us or do we, do we, do we recognize it? And then we use them as like information to guide us and, um, to get back into kind of the spiritual world of things, I always love the analogy that our emotions are the language of the soul. Our emotions are, are it's the only way that our soul knows how to communicate with us. So when we can look at our emotions as like a, a signpost into where to go, you can change your relationship to your emotions and not have them destroy you, but help you through your life. You're ticking all the right boxes, sir. I, I you know, I appreciate that you, uh, you've, you've come from a hospitality background, but you definitely... Um, I, I don't know. I feel like that we've we've taken sort of similar journeys, and there's even even recently, you know, we we go back to almost full circle about getting called out and burnt. We got called out recently because we didn't call out the people who had previously been the bullies in the industry. And I said, that's not the position of the Burnt Chef Project. We're here to educate. We're here to support individuals, and eventually, those people who were or still are will be the ones who left stood outside in the cold. And we were the ones getting absolutely set on fire because of that very reason. And at first there was at first the feelings of, you know, yeah. anger, the feelings of fear of everything else. We get, I was absolutely fooled. It, it put me into a depression very, very quickly. But then you come out the other side of that and you start to look through the anger of the individuals yeah. and you start to look at the underlying messages and the underlying messages of your your emotions and why you feel that way and yeah and then you start to come to terms with it and actually you start to find you you, you find your way through that forest you start parting parting and fighting your way through those those thorns um to provide something that's beneficial ultimately overall and good for you for for not like giving into that right because that's that's the polarity right there you should be doing this and you need to be doing that like that extreme behavior of like people projecting their shit out onto you, expecting you to do something with it. It's like, no, like that's not what this is about. This isn't about shaming other people for their poor behavior. This is about how do we make it better? And by, by calling people out and being like, what you're doing is bad. And you're, you're a terrible human being. Like that's not going to create change. That's going to create defensiveness, shame and further polarization, Mm. which is much as like going on with our governments right now. And kind of set, and yeah. we're separate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're becoming very separate. So, absolutely, man. So, if you can, if you make a difference in one person's life, oh yeah, it's all that matters. 
like yeah, I can tell like you're not you're not doing it like it's you're not doing a bad thing man you're not you're doing something amazing and it's like you know other people are going to have their stories and it's like okay great if if you want to do something better like go for it but as well Chris I just encourage you know that that you do to I I don't know from from there it sounds like you're very selfless like you're like you're just like putting everything in there and it's like I, I hope that you are taking care of yourself in that sense and and do you know what I mean? Like, I hope you're, you're yeah. getting yours. Um, like, in the early days, kind of effort, man. <laughs> in the early days, I wasn't. I wasn't doing you're taking well. Taking on a lot, uh, but it's now hit this sort of not a plateau because mm. it's definitely the trajectory is still increasing rapidly. But uh, it's hit it to the point where I feel like I'm not chasing myself every more uh, anymore. You know, I think that our voice is strong enough in the industry. I have much grander plans with where I want to go and the things I want to achieve in this industry, but you have to let things bed in and you have to like focus on the priority things. And ultimately that does give me an opportunity where if family members are sick or I need to take some time off, then I have to prioritize them and me over, over this. This isn't going to disappear and fizzle out one day because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not working 16 hours and replying to messages and setting up arrangements and, and spinning plays. It's just, you know, and, and that's yeah. an ego thing, I think, that once you start to get over that and realize that actually it's bigger than you now, it's probably going to do quite well even if I wasn't here. It gives you that a bit of a gives you a bit of a break to go and focus on some self love for a change. Yeah. yeah, man. If people wanted to find you, where could they so, find you, Trevor? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the Human Trevor Bird. Um, my website is just being finished up, so trevorbird.ca. Uh, and I think also I've .com can't remember, uh, but it's not live yet. It will be. Um, and I have a breathwork community. Uh, and if you're curious what that is and you want to get grounded and you're feeling amped up, like just reach out to me on one of the socials. I'll add you to the breathwork community. It's a free platform. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, listen, listen, thank you for today. It's been an absolute pleasure yeah. speaking to you. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope that we can speak again soon. Yeah, thanks for your time. I know things are crazy for you, so I appreciate it. I always love these conversations. No worries, so, you too. Yeah, have an awesome day, Chris. <laughs> night, I guess. Yeah, yeah night. I'm just starting my day. Speak to you soon. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. If you haven't yet checked out the Burnt Chef Project website, then please head over to www.theburntchefproject.com. You'll find a whole host of resources, free access to our training app, as well as free support services, blog posts, our merchandise store, and also our ambassadors who are there to support you when you need it. Thanks again for joining us this week, and I'll see you again soon.